May I have, May the, I envelope, have the envelope, please? please. And the splendid, splendid blow goes to... in California, Rich Buckland in Florida, back with another award. An award that we call the... Splendid Boho goes to... The Splendid Boho. And what we do is we take a film, a film that's already magnificent, and we award one of the character actors in that film, or someone who possibly was a character actor at the time, as is this case. Um, and we award the boho to this particular... Uh, thespian. Is the, is the term thespian still used, Bill? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thespian. Uh, due and to... After the first actor, Thespis. 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 It's funny. You don't first hear, one who stepped out from the chorus. You hear actor to now identify actors and actresses more and more, but thespian seems to have been lost. I love the sound of the word thespian. Yeah. And one of the great thespians of all time was indeed Philip Seymour Hoffman. And what he does in this motion picture, which is already a piece of, a magnificent piece of art. The film is called Hard Eight. If I were to give you $50, what would you do with it? I'd eat. How long can you eat? How long can you live on $50? I don't know. I would bet not very long. It's always good to meet a new friend. Oh, you took care of him? John is a very old friend. I think he's pretty adorable the way he follows you around and looks up to you. Hello. Hi. I don't do anything that I don't want to do. You understand? Says you remember, Jimmy. Yeah! Friend lives up there. I saw you playing crap over at the original Doom. Bet the hard eight for a thousand and you pressed it for two. Stupid bet. He thinks you don't like him. I don't. I know some things about Atlantic City. You walk around like you're Mr. Cool, Mr. Wisdom, but you're not. You're just some old hood. Please do not put a bullet in me. I love you, Sid. And please don't tell John what I've done. So you think what? That you can just walk through this life without being punished for it? That is my hope. I don't want to die. Philip Baker Hall, John C. Riley, Gwyneth Paltrow, and Samuel L. Jackson. Hard eight.
And the reason that we are doing this, we had uh, another film we're going to do. We're going to do it later, and I'm not going to keep that a surprise. But we recently lost the great actor Philip Baker Hall. Bill knows Mr. Hall well because he worked with him in a motion picture called Eye for an Eye. Eye for an Eye. Yeah. Uh, which also featured... Which Sal- apparently, I'm looking at the uh, the IMDb, was done the same year as Hard Eight. Was done the same year, yes. Yeah. That was 96. That was 96. Uh, Hard Eight was released uh, on Reicher, Reicher Entertainment. Of course, directed by the amazing Paul Thomas Anderson, his, his debut. And this is the film that not only puts... It's it, it, Anderson's eyes and ears were so adept at being able to compose these these masterpieces. The music put Michael Penn and Amy Mann on the map more than they had been ever before. And then yeah, con- continue- of course, John C. Riley, Gwyneth Paltrow, and Samuel L. Jackson all appear in this movie. These are all household names now. But they weren't then. No, not not even not even close. Not even close. And Mr. Hall was pretty much unknown. Um, I believe. Well, he, yeah, he had his breakthrough in 1984 at the age of 53 on Secret Honor when he played uh, Richard Nixon in a small off-Broadway type of theater in in Los Angeles, and. Uh, that was, and then Altman, Robert Altman saw it, made a film out of it, and uh, his career still didn't explode, but he started then uh, getting little bigger parts. I mean, this is a man who worked his way up. And it's 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 funny how our social, <laughs> our lack of education promotes obituaries that name his little stint on Seinfeld as being what he's most famous for. Lieutenant Bookman. Mr. Bookman, the library cop. Yes. And it was a wonderful performance. It's it's one of those things I can't, every single time I watch it, and I will, I have quite often just for the sheer joy of watching him work. And uh, have to give Seinfeld credit. He he well, gave him all the rope, and he gave a yeah. great comedic performance. Very dry uh, performance, but he he had a face, unforgettable face. Those baggy eyes and that gray hair and uh, that gravelly voice. Um, and you know, I'm watching the movie, and he's smoking through the whole movie of Hard Eight. But he still lived to 90. He still lived to 90 years of age. And as you indicated, had a uh, had a wife yes, and girlfriend. He had a, he had a late, later life marriage. And uh, <coughs> with two children, he married at 50 and then had children. And uh, I think they're about two girls around 20 now. So they were born when he was like 70. <laughs> That's the. I think the oldest father I have heard of was Anthony Quinn. That was eighty-one. Yeah, and then there was a Tony Randall, but I, I forget he was around that age as well. Oh, really? Tony Randall had a Tony uh, Randall, yeah, in his 
in his not in his 80s 70s and 70s. you know into his 80s yeah 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 so hard eight was originally titled sydney and that was the title that paul it was thomas a short film yeah well the, no the short film is titled cigarettes and coffee cigarettes and coffee yeah right. and then he uh, wanted to name hard eight sydney but uh, the film company wouldn't let him do it. And that was the only thing that he gave up because he got, they first they did a, their own cut of the movie, but he got his cut released. But he had to, had to give in on Hard Eight. And you know, actually I don't mind it because Hard Eight, in that scene that we're gonna talk about with Philip Seymour Hoffman, it's all about the Hard Eight. And the Hard Eight is the metaphor Right for. Well, this is a gambling. What happens is, in the film? Yeah, I mean, you could you could make. This is Paul Thomas Anderson's first feature film, and with everything Anderson does, he's attempting to relay something that you that is to others really not messageable, if there's such a word. You have to really search for the meaning in this particular story about a gentleman living in a hotel, making his living gambling, and then adopting this young man in the very beginning of the film that he meets outside of a diner. And what occurs from, from there is a combination of gambling story, mob story, love story, murder story. It combines so many different elements with a score that is from from heaven. I mean, the score is from heaven. And I urge you to watch this. I, we're not going to give too much away. Yeah, no, let's not give away the plot points. But do not turn off at the credits because you have to listen to them. We've already presented it on the show we did about Michael Penn. You have to hear Amy Mann and Michael Penn's tune, Christmas Time which I think is one of the great uh, songs in film and one of the great songs that never got the attention that it deserves, especially as a Christmas song. I mean, there's some pretty lousy Christmas songs out there. Alvin and the Chipmunks had more successful Christmas songs. But uh, this, is a, this is a killer. Bill, if you'd be kind enough, would you... We're, we're going to talk about... Philip Seymour Hoffman, of course, and you, when he passed, you wrote a tribute song to him. Yes, yes, and I did. I would kindly like for our listeners to hear this. It's called Credits Rule. <laughs> Yes, and I was so devastated and angry at the waste um, that this song came out in a 
in a torrent of emotion. Now, this young man has a scene, and we are honoring that scene, which lasts under four minutes. But what he does, the magic that he commits to in this particular scene at a craps table facing off with Philip Baker Hall is just beautiful. It's simply beautiful. Yeah, the transitions from all the different emotions that happen in three and a half minutes uh, is astounding, a work of delicacy and power. He was really one of our greatest. It was a waste. He died at 46 years old of an overdose. And went from that four-minute work of art, that four-minute performance, to go on to work with Anderson in what I consider, this is just me. I think The Master is one of the greatest films ever made. There's a cycle, like life. Uh, Birth, excitement, growth, decay, death. (laughs) Now, now, how about this? Here it comes. A, A large dragon. My teeth, blood dripping, red eyes. What do I got? A lasso. I whip it up, I wrap it around its neck, and I wrestle. Wrestle. Wrestle him to the ground. I snap up, I say, sit, dragon. Dragon sits. I say, stay. Dragon stays. Now it's got a leash on. Take it for a walk. <laughs> And that's what where we're at with it now. It stays on command. Well, there's the master, and of course, all all of his performance, Boogie Nights, Boogie uh, Nights, Magnolia, where he plays Robard's nurse. Um, you know, it's uh, his work. The work that he left behind. It's really you. You look. You look at the 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 roster of films. I just saw Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, uh, when they made with Sidney Lumet. Fabulous. Um, Ethan Hawke is, is magnificent. Yes, Ethan Hawke, the two of them yeah. together. Just yeah. fabulous. Um, he finally won the Academy Award for Capote. Um, but he was a theater actor and director. He never left the theater. He had his own theater company that he started called Labyrinth. And um, he discovered the playwright Stephen Adley Gerges. And, and he did a run of True West, Sam Shepard's True West, with John C. Riley, and the two of them playing brothers, and they would alternate parts from night to night. Mm-hmm. The misfortune, as his wife once stated, was that he, she felt that his final uh, commitment on stage to death of a salesman is what promoted the relapse that took his life. He was. Oh, is that right? He had mm-hmm. problems with addiction. Uh, his his entire life, and he was clean and sober, but uh, those who knew him in those last days could tell that he had relapsed, and uh, that's... Well, he obviously struggled with his weight, too. I mean, he had... Uh, he, he was it must have been a compulsive uh, character in many, in many ways. It's interesting, um, 
Paul Thomas Anderson continues the legacy by casting his son, Cooper, in Licorice Pizza. Which I found quite, which I found a motion picture salvaged by the performance of Sean Penn as William Holden uh, and uh, a cameo by Tom Waits. I had a similar sensation, unfortunately, as I did when I watched James Gandolfini's son attempt to recreate Tony Soprano in the uh, Saints of Yeah, it it, it wasn't, I I think it wasn't a great film, but what what struck me that, that Anderson was working through was this sense of family. And uh, by casting uh, Cooper uh, Hoffman and casting the entire Chaim family and casting DiCaprio's father as the waterbed salesman. Yeah, that I mean, was fabulous. Everywhere you looked, yes. there was this sense of these families, this community uh, that grew up in the Hollywood area. Um, in, on one hand, as with Inherent Vice with Joaquin Phoenix, which I, I think it's the only motion picture. This is this is one of my favorite directors of all time, and it's probably the only motion picture I ever walked out on. Uh, mm. I was so that was a hard one. It's yeah. a hard one. So he can go astray. He gets ideas, and I understood what he was formulating, but what he was knitting does not necessarily commit to this quilt that he was looking to uh, to create. It, it, and anyway, let's get back to Hard Eight. It, unwe- um, it unweaves. So, <laughs> would you be kind enough to talk about your experience with Philip Baker Hall? Oh, sure. Uh, wh- wh- the thing that struck me about, I had all of my scenes with Philip Baker Hall in the film, Eye for an Eye, which was about uh, uh, Sally Field and her daughter that is raped and murdered and um she's she she's out for vengeance and she goes to this um this support group called parents of murdered children and i'm one of those people and i'm giving a speech about how my son was murdered and how his murderer is getting out of prison and and then there's another little scene where we're in a closet together, which was, you know, and I look at it so great. I'm standing shoulder to shoulder with uh, Sydney, but uh, he's the where she walks unexpectedly into this closet where we're having a secret meeting because really we're uh, besides being parents of murdered children, we're a vigilante group. You're not making it any easier, all right? Nothing is going to go wrong. I just, oh, sorry, I I was looking for the ladies' room. Go back to where you came. Turn left at the exit sign. Bathrooms are at the end of the hall. And uh, and so we clam up. I don't say a word, but I'm you know I'm listening to everything that the two of them are saying intently. But when I had to give this speech, he was sitting right across from me. Where I was at this sort of picnic table, and he was sitting right across from me. And when I it was a difficult speech. I had to cry in the middle of the speech. And the director, um, you know, um, the great director of um, uh, uh, Midnight Cowboy, 
Um, John Schlesinger. John Schlesinger. Uh, he very British, and they're very technical. So he would he would be. I did it like 20 times because there were lots of people sitting around the table, and they would cover do coverage on everyone else, and then they'd stop for lunch, and I had to go back to my trailer and eat, and then they they would call me back for my close-up, but I had to cry in the same place every time, 20 times, and he I'd hear his voice go, okay, let it go, no, pull it back, you know, and um, that's too much, pull it back, oh, a little more, cry on this word, let the tears go on this word. You know, and I was like really struggling, but I was very concentrated. And when I was done, when they called, it's a wrap on Bill Mesnick, Philip Baker Hall mm -hmm. leapt to his feet and gave me a standing ovation. That's, that's and I was wonderful. Like, that's I wonderful. was so, I was so touched. He was such a great man. Well, he was known for being quite gracious. Um, he, he was quite loved and it sounds in keeping. He he honored and would pay tribute to those who touched him. He understood the craft and was such a supporter of those who uh, adhered and were devoted to the craft. And I think that's what he was displaying for you. He was absolutely... Uh, yeah, it was a nod of respect it from was, yes. one character actor to another. Yes, yes. And... Uh, that's something that I think you should be very, very proud of, because I think this is uh, it's a memory that I hold very dear. He's he's without doubt one of my favorite uh, screen performers of of all time. And uh, 90 is a pretty good ride. Yes, indeed. Good and life. Mr. Hoffman, unfortunately, did not succeed in having a longer. He only, he only lived half as long. He only lived half as long. Uh, but the work that he left behind, there's an independent film called Happiness I recommend heartily. Oh, that's, that's a hard one as well. It's a hard one, but this is the kind of... Uh, he was very brave, very brave actor. Yes, a really brave actor. He did not, did not mind making himself look ugly. No, he would not shy, and he would not shy away from what many actors, I presume, would say... This isn't this isn't for me. Yeah, the first time I saw him was in Boogie Nights, and I I, I was so appalled by his character. You know, he's he's walking around the film set with this he's heavy, and the, his t-shirt is like not covering his belly, and he's got a crush on uh, Dirk Diggler, and he's ogling Dirk Diggler. I'm thinking this this is so ugly. So lascivious, and yet at the same time, so heartbreaking. Um, because it's just not just really, really great work. Not just the character Dirk Diggler, but it's Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg in his in his in his absolute prime, looking as yes, good right. as Mark Wahlberg was ever going to look in a in a motion picture. So Marky yes, Mark, it's a heartbreaking it's it's a heartbreaking performance. But this is what he did. He could make you laugh. He could make you cry. He could make you think. And the first time I saw Heart Eight, the film was etched in my heart and in my mind. So they, the, the entire realm of this film is, is spiritual to me. So we, we have to stop at some point because I could go on about it for... But it's I, interesting uh, in terms of factoid. It cost $3 million to make and only made 
222,000 in the box office. And this is one of those instances where those people who are in charge of the money understood what was created and allowed Anderson's career not only to continue, but to thrive into lore. Thank God for that. Into lore. Into lore. There what will a gift! Be, what a gift to our culture. There will be blood. Is uh, <laughs> wow. Monumental. Monumental. You talk about mind fucks, and you talk about great performances, and the now retired Daniel Day Lewis, whom he directed superbly, probably, other than my left foot, was able to get everything out of Daniel Day Lewis. So this also has to go to Paul Thomas Anderson, who had a director of act for actors. You know, Roger Ebert said the acting in this film is wonderfully understated, economical and unsentimental. And I think that's a very good characterization. Yes. And he also, of course, had this magnificent vision and he knew just who to cast for what role. Yeah, and those tracking shots are fine. You know, well, through the a- absolutely. Yeah. But, I but you said Boogie Nights, the, ca- the, the tracking shot through the club, the roller club in Boogie Nights, you know, emblematic of the film. But then going back and seeing Hard Eight, he was doing it earlier in Hard Eight as well. Yes, but of course it's it's a technique. That's that, a Scorsese thing, right? right from Learn Fallon. from he. What he did is he took advantage of that invention that Scorsese gave us, and yeah. uh, he elevated it a bit. So he had the foresight to invest in the talent of Philip Seymour Hoffman. Someone else could have been given this role, and there's only one person on earth, I believe, that could have played that particular nameless crapshooter for four minutes in a film and made a unforgettable film even more unforgettable. Come on, old time, you gonna join us here, my friend? Come on. I don't wait for old people. I don't wait for old people. <laughs> All right, here we go. Let's see those. Let's go. Here we go. Okay, I'm gonna light a cigarette now, old timer. See, the thing is, I like you, and I'm gonna light a cigarette. And I'm gonna let you have this time to place your bet before I finish lighting this cigarette. And then when I finish lighting, I'm just gonna roll and fuck you. <laughs> You're laughing at that? I just said fuck you to the man. Jesus Christ. <laughs> the way you look, I think you know what I'm saying, old timer. I think you do. Jesus Christ, why don't you have some fun? Fun, fun. <laughs> All right, shaka-laka-doo, shaka-laka-dooby-dooby-doo, shaka-laka-doo. You got a little bit more there. Coming in there, baby. Shaka-laka-doo, baby. I'm almost lighting it, baby. I'm going to light the cigarette, old-timer. What are you going to do? $2,000 heartache. $2,000 heartache's the best. Fuck. <laughs> oh, man. You play that game, don't you? Oh, shit. <laughs> You're big time. You are big time. <laughs> oh, card eight. Oh, okay. Here we go. All right. Here we go. All right. This is for you, big time. 
All right, not even looking. Here we go. Eight. Hard six. Hard six. That's a hard six, old timer. That's not bad for me. That's not bad for me. Is it, sister? It is sister Sledge. <laughs> there we go. It's me and you. You know what I'm saying? For fucking hundred. Party. Hundred. Me and you, big time. Me and you. You can buy yourself another suit with this roll. 44. 44, big time. 2,000. 2,000. 2,000. 100. 100. 2,000. 2,000. 44! Hey, easy. Easy eight. Five and a three. It's a front line winner. Damn. Fuck! Ha ha. That's a good. Oh, shit. I'm sorry, big time. Hey, big time, I'll buy you a drink. <laughs> so thank you, everyone concerned. And the splendid boho goes to Philip Seymour Hoffman. And Mr. Philip Baker Hall, you'll be in our hearts eternally. Mr. Mesnick, I thank you for sharing your experiences as the thespian, the great thespian we know you to be. Well, thank you. It was uh, This was a... Um an, a nice opportunity to speak of someone I knew personally. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And you and you said that you had uh, you had run into him in a Walgreens, but you didn't because I know yeah, I, didn't, I didn't bother him. He was in line at Walgreens and getting a prescription. But you don't like and he was older. He was older. And it was like, you know, I didn't want to intrude. Yeah, sure. Sure. It took it took you everything you had when you met Steve Earle. At uh, wh- where well, was Steve it? Earle, they, they, the whole thing was set up. You know, you buy the album and then you and wait then he, online. And I know, it. I know. So that you know, I didn't have to actually uh, introduce myself. Right. <laughs> it was a business transaction. <laughs> yeah. Steve was just doing his signing thing. Yeah, yeah. I have a friend who I've, I've mentioned to you who does that as a. It's more than a hobby. Uh, there is not a person that will pass away that he does not post a picture of with that particular person getting a record <laughs> signed or at a meet and greet. He's a teacher. I don't know where he gets the money. He just saw the who at night. You get the money where you get the time. Where do you get it's the time? Lot, it's a my, lot of work. My God. And he, he also found the time to drive his daughter to the Bon Jovi Museum in New Jersey. That she bon Jovi to, has his own museum, he's, right? He's got his own little museum, yes. <laughs> One day, Bill, you're going to have your own museum. I'm going to This is our museum. This, uh, is, our this museum. is our museum. Our cabinet of wonders. And all you have to do, you don't have to get in your car. You don't have to drive anywhere. All you got to do is you just got to click. And there we are. Just We're click right on the, on the link. Click on the link, baby. So please check out uh, Captain Billy's Magic 8-Ball, where we're going to have some, uh, we got some groovy episodes running for you. We got... We're going in and out of the box. You're going to hear the great, the blues great Mance Lipscomb. You're going to hear the soundtrack of Camelot, the soundtrack of the motion picture, The Misfits. That's right, the original Marilyn Monroe. 
Clark Gable, Monty Cliff, and Mr. Mesnick gives you his uh, insights to all of these uh, A-tracks prior to our playing them for you in high definition. Please check that out on Dig This. But Hard Eight Will Live Forever, 1996. Bill, 1996, it really wasn't that long ago, but it feels like eons ago. Pretty pretty long. I mean, in four years, it'll be 30. It'll be 30 years? Yeah, yeah. They should do an anniversary edition, uh, including the alternate ending. But, my friend, we're going to now bid farewell. And the splendid boho always goes to you, Bill, always goes to you for your devotion, your time, your faith, and every effort you make to keep the splendid bohemians alive and running and one day possibly coming to a town near you. My mother thanks you, my father thanks you, my sister thanks you, and I thank you. (laughs) Bill, no one does George M. Cohan. (laughs) Yankee Doodle Dandy. Bill, you are Mr. Yankee Doodle Dandy. But But without the red hat. I love you, my friend. All right, good night, Mr. Calabash. Right, wherever you are. Oh, let's not get into Durante, okay? (laughs) Please, don't take me there. I love you, my friend, and we will see you all soon with another episode of Put on a Stack of 45, another Captain Billy's Magic 8-Ball, and another, and the splendid boho goes to. Be safe, be well, and hold on tight to each other. Take care.